you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Stocks are at session highs here after yesterday's downward reversal, with the Nasdaq jumping nearly 2%. The most important hour of trading starts now. Welcome, everyone, to Closing Bell. I'm Sarah Eisen. Here's where we stand right now in the market, up 280 or so on the Dow. Nice reversal from yesterday, breaking a three-day losing streak. The S&P is up a firm 1% at the moment. What's working? Most of the sectors are higher. Consumer discretionary and technology lead. That, those have been the biggest losing sectors. Energy's up today. Materials as well. The only two sectors in the red, financials, will hit on those earnings and utilities. And take a look at consumer discretionary. Just want to highlight this into the close. By far the top performing sector today, travel stocks are helping the group a lot. Marriott, Norwegian, Caesars, Hilton, all sharply higher. Got positive comments and earnings out of Delta. That's certainly helped fueling a lot of optimism in that sector. We've got a big interview coming up that you will not want to miss. Fed Governor Christopher Waller will join us exclusively in just a few minutes to talk about inflation, Fed policy, the economy, and much more on the back of two back-to-back very hot inflation reports. Let's get to our top story today, though. That is bank earnings. J.P. Morgan reporting a profit decline in its first quarter earnings this morning. The decline was driven by increased costs for bad loans and impact from the war in Ukraine. The stock is down 3.4 percent. The bank sector also taking a hit on the back of those earnings results. And tomorrow we'll get more earnings from Citi, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley and Wells Fargo. Joining us now, David Ellison from Hennessy Funds, Gerard Cassidy from RBC Capital Markets. Gerard, after, after speaking to clients all day today and seeing the reaction in JPM shares deteriorate, what are you hearing? What were some of the biggest concerns? Sarah, I think the number one issue here with J.P. Morgan Chase is their capital levels. As you saw, their CET1 ratio, which is the common equity tier one ratio, which is a regulatory capital ratio, fell to about 11.9% from 13.1%. And the reason it fell was that they had to mark down their securities and their available for sale portfolio. And also there was increased risks in trading and counterparty losses. So I think that's a real issue for many investors because they announced an authorization for a $30 billion share buyback, but they may be limited now on what they can do with that because of the capital where it is today. I guess the question is how much bad news is already in the stock? It's down now almost 20% from the lows, Gerard. What, what do you do? Are you a buyer? Yeah, so we would say for long-term investors, absolutely. Now, this is going to be a real choppy year for companies like J.P. Morgan Chase with their global footprint. We prefer the regional banks that don't have the exposures overseas that J.P. Morgan has, and also the banks that don't have big capital markets exposure. Regional lenders such as a Fifth Third or an M&T Bank or Comerica is a way to play the expectation that the Fed's going to raise rates this year, spreads will widen accordingly. Do you agree, David? I know you run a, a financials portfolio, but it's it, hard to digest some of that, that tone from Jamie Dimon. He was optimistic in the short term, but not so much in the medium and long term. Cautious, the buildup in reserves. What do you do? Well, I, yeah, uh, anyway, first up, hello, Gerard. I've known Gerard for many years, so it's good to see you. Um, you know, I went through hey, these numbers this morning. I'm glad I could bring you guys together. I know, I know. That's both, yeah, thanks, Sarah. This is a Facebook thing here. Um, but the, uh, I looked at it this morning, I thought they're okay, but then I sort of thought about it. It's like 
there's nothing really exciting here in these numbers. I don't, I don't see uh, what's going to drive earnings substantially higher. Uh, if rates go higher, we may have credit problems. If rates go lower, there's going to be no growth. The loan growth isn't really that good. Uh, I see, you know, look at their cost of funds is what, 22, 23 basis points. Um, uh, you know, and I think you, you know, that, that seems like that's going to go up. And it may go up as fast or faster than their yield on assets, given it's so low. And I think all the banks are kind of in that boat now. So I come away sort of saying this is, you know, I would like to see a credit cycle. That's where I'm going to make money. And I'm hoping to God it happens before I have to retire because I, you know, this, you don't make any money here in these stocks until something goes wrong. And I think Gerard picks out the capital issue, the credit issues. I mean, we need a credit issue to drive the stocks lower from here to make money from here. Uh, the stock's 180 a book, so a stock buyback really doesn't help the book value. It's trading at 11, 12 times earnings, depending on what Wall Street decides to put the earnings at for the rest of the year. That's okay, mm -hmm. not great. And there's not a lot of growth. So we need a credit cycle. Stocks go lower than we make money from there. So I guess the question from here, Gerard, is what, what does this mean for the other banks that are set to report? Because there were some positive surprises. Trading revenues were better. That could be good for a Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs. And, and, you know, to counter David's sort of doom and gloom, the exciting thing for banks this year was supposed to be that the Fed is finally raising interest rates and that that would be good for, for profit margins. So what, what do you expect from the group? Sure. No, sir. And uh, David touched on some important parts. And I would highlight that the CNI loan growth, when you look at the loans for J.P. Morgan Chase, excluding the PPP loans, which were the government guaranteed loans that the government gave out during the pandemic, the loan growth was actually pretty decent for J.P. Morgan. So, again, for the regional commercial lenders, we expect to see loan growth driven by inventory replenishment as well as capital market or capital expenditures. Uh, in terms of uh, the capital market players, you're right, uh, Sarah, the trading was better. So we should anticipate to see some better maybe trading numbers tomorrow. But I'd also say uh, to David's point about the cost of funds, the big banks may see higher cost of funds. But then when you look at the re regional banks that have the core deposits, you know, the grandmother and grandfather accounts, we don't see them raising deposit rates very quickly because they have too many deposits. The loan to deposit ratio for the industry is very low today. So we think initially the first 100 basis points of Fed fund tightening, I think, falls right to the bottom line for many of these regional banks because they're not going to be forced to raise their, their deposit rates uh, at this time. And a number of them are higher today. We've got some strength in First Republic Bank, yeah. for instance, Schwab, the brokers are higher. Uh, so it's not all financials lower, but it is the biggest loser in terms of the S&P right now. Gerard, thank you, David. Thanks to you as well. Good to have you both Great on a big earnings day. Retail Thank you, stocks. <laughs> Thanks. Retail stocks surging today. Names like Gap and PVH adding to some solid gains on the week so far. We'll talk to MasterCard's chief U.S. economist about what she's seeing in terms of consumer spending as we await tomorrow's big retail sales report. And then later, do not miss our exclusive interview with Fed Governor Christopher Waller on this week's hot inflation prints and the Fed's strategy to fight it. You're watching Closing Bell on CNBC. Dow's up more than 290 points. Hey there, Brenda. It's Carol. Exactly. So which leg are we operating on? You mean arm? It's all connected. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future. Are you sure you're an orthopedist? Actually, I'm a Sagittarius. Especially when it comes to your finances. Do you have a question? Are you a certified financial planner? 
Yes, I'm a CFP professional. CFP professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Today's stealth mover, actually we've got two today, both in the pharma space. And Terris Pharma jumping after it agreed to be bought by Halazyme Therapeutics for just under $1 billion. And then there's Sierra Oncology, which is surging as well on news. It is being acquired by GlaxoSmithKline for nearly $2 billion. Biotech, on the whole, having a strong session, up more than 2%. Some deals bringing it back to life. Check out the retailers today. Names like Gap, PVH, American Eagle, Victoria's Secret, all jumping ahead of tomorrow's big retail sales data. Let's bring in Michelle Meyer, chief U.S. economist for MasterCard Economics Institute. Welcome, Michelle. Your first interview since joining MasterCard. It's it's great to have you. And, And tell us, with all that new data that you are seeing, what is going on with the consumer? Thanks, Sarah. It's so great to be here and to be able to represent MasterCard's Economic Institute. Um, As you noted, we have an incredible um, resource here in terms of being able to drive some some pretty distinct and and unique insights. And what we're seeing from the MasterCard spending pulse data is that the consumer is still outspending. Um, The latest data has shown, of course, spending more on certain necessities, and that likely reflects some of the inflation impulse of spending at gas stations, spending on food but also out very much spending on experiences. So airline travel, lodging, restaurants, and even still durable goods. So the data that we're looking at very much suggests consumer is still plugging along. And, and nothing in terms of trade-offs where, where they're trading, you know, higher airline tickets for apparel, that sort of thing? So that is the key question. That's what we're keenly focused on to see if we start to see any wallet shifts where there's some signs of stress where consumers are spending more on those necessities and they're more expensive, which means that they have to cut back on some more discretionary items. But it's not apparent yet in the data. And I think that speaks to the strong fundamentals of the consumer. Right, you have low debt ratios, um, a strong labor market with a very low unemployment rate and a lot of job opportunities as the data shows, and also a pretty good buffer in terms of savings. That seems to be really um, allowing the consumer to manage through this time, at least for the time being. So how do we know what's coming? Because as you know, there's some pessimism that's crept in. The XRT, the retail ETF, while it's springing back in the last week. It's still way down since November. And all the, the groups that are working instead are defensive, like consumer staples. So, so what's, what's the forecast based on the data that you have? Well, look, I think it's very much going to be a function of the persistence of this inflation shock. How long do we see commodity prices at these high levels? How long do we see this 
this strength, this increase in inflation and the broadness of inflation, because consumers can't withstand this indefinitely, of course. Um, at some point, you will start to see those that stress kick in and you will likely see these types of wallet shifts. So we're continuing to really focus on items of the consumer basket that tend to be most vulnerable to commodity shocks historically. Um, and that would be large um, purchases, uh, big household appliances or uh, items related to vehicles, or even potentially airfare, although this time around, it may be very different for airfare, given there's still a lot of pent-up demand to go out and travel. Session highs up 329 or so on the Dow. So, Michelle, when you hear Wall Street talk about recession, now Deutsche Bank yeah. says it's coming in 2023, the yield curve did invert, it's quite uninverted right now. How do you square that with the data that you're showing, which indicates no slowdown in consumer spending? Well, look, I mean, I think it was that inverted yield curve that spooked a lot of people. And as you noted, Sarah, it is quite uninverted, right? It's now steepening out. So I think the market signals shows that there's an appreciation for some of the resilience in the economy. Um, will we see a moderation in growth? Absolutely. The economy grew at an astounding pace last year because of the unique factors related to fiscal stimulus, monetary stimulus, and the rebound coming out of a very deep hole from the pandemic. So a moderation growth is to be expected. Um, but I think, it, you know, it was, I think people just got a bit spooked um, and started to pull forward those recession calls. Michelle Meyer, it's good to talk to you again. Good to have you back Thanks on the you. show from MasterCard Economics Institute. We look forward to having you back on. Let's give you a check on the markets. As I mentioned, we are at session highs, building on those gains throughout the hour. A reversal of what we saw yesterday, where it was a pretty much big drop into the close. Up 3.30 on the Dow. Boeing is the biggest contributor, the Walmart, American Express, Microsoft, Nike, all adding. You've got four Dow stocks in the red, J.P. Morgan, Travelers, IBM, and 3M. The Nasdaq surging 2%, reversing a decline yesterday. Up next, breaking down the market breath, Mike Santoli taking a closer look at the split performance of S&P 500 constituents and what that signals about the market's next move. And then later, our exclusive interview with Fed Governor Christopher Waller following this week's sky-high inflation prints. We'll ask him whether he thinks prices have peaked. Be back, be back in a moment. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. A nice more than 1% rally now for the S&P 500. So 47% of S&P 500 stocks right now are currently trading above their 200-day moving average, key technical level. Let's get to Mike Santoli taking a closer look at 
Overall market breadth, Mike, what does it tell us? Yeah, it's caught right in the middle, Sarah. I mean, a technical analyst would look at this. By the way, this is coming into today. It's probably a little bit better right now. And say it's a selective bifurcated market. We're not necessarily in gear in the way uh, that you might be if you're in the midst of or about to set off on a really strong advance. A couple of observations, though. The recent lows, you didn't really have a huge washout as you did, for example, late 2018 and 2020 when you had 20% plus declines in the index. It looks a lot more like that in 2014, where the prior year was so strong, just like last year was so strong, most stocks were above it. So I would say here, it really reflects the fact that we've had these offsetting currents in the market, naturally commodity-related and defensive stocks doing very well. Cyclicals, expensive growth have been weak. Question is, uh, as, have we seen enough? Have we seen enough of this consolidation for a while right here? A lot of folks are going to wait for this to get better to say the market's out of the woods. But, of course, all the rallies start when things don't look as great on this measure. Watching today's rally, of course, a little bit lower. Actually quite broad volumes. today, but yeah. Yeah, and broader today. Exactly. Mike, thank you. We'll see you in the market zone. Up next, Fed Governor Christopher Waller on the latest red-hot inflation numbers and whether he thinks a recession could be on the horizon. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are near session highs, just a little bit off of them, up 344 on the Dow. Some of today's top search tickers on CNBC.com. Ten-year yield in its regular spot right on top of the list. And this time, we're seeing yields actually moving a little bit lower, 270 on the tenure. So buying of treasuries with yields moving down despite what was a very strong PPI wholesale inflation read this morning. J.P. Morgan earnings matter down 3.4 percent on the back of that report. Tesla always in the top five, up 3.8 percent. And Delta with a good quarter as well, surging 6 percent, bringing the whole airline and travel and leisure industry higher today. Apple rounding out the top five with another positive day, up almost 2 percent. Up next, we we will talk to Fed Governor Christopher Waller about the inflation situation in America and whether the Fed is doing enough to bring prices down. More big inflation numbers out today. The producer price index rising to more than 11 percent from a year ago. This comes after the consumer price index yesterday showed an eight and a half percent gain from a year ago. Meantime, gas prices still above four dollars a gallon. And Fed Governor Christopher Waller joins us now. It's great to have you, Governor Waller. Welcome. Hi, Sarah. How are you reading the inflation data that we got this week? Well, the data was high. We knew it was going to be high, so it wasn't that surprising. Oil and or energy and food was going to drive the headline numbers up. Uh, we got a little uh, bit of a break on core inflation numbers, came in a little lower than we thought, which is good news. Hopefully we can see that continue going forward. But inflation is just, it's very high, and we know that this is causing a lot of pain for American households, and it doesn't, we're just going to continue on with our plans with rate hikes and reducing accommodation to try to get this back under control. You mentioned the core inflation number, the monthly gain was less than it had been, and it sparked this whole debate over whether inflation has peaked. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what I'm forecasting is that this is pretty much the peak. It's going to start coming down. That was what I had in my SEP coming forward for the second half of the year. Inflation would start to come back down as rate uh, hikes started having a bite on the economy in terms of demand. And that was going to put some downward pressure on prices. Uh, we're already seeing some oil uh, prices retreating back from where they were from the invasion. Uh, of Ukraine. So I think w we might be at the peak and that we'll start seeing some relief on this in the, in the next coming months. But it doesn't relieve us of our job to 
you know, remove accommodation and get inflation down. So on that note, you put out there that you were looking at a potential double or 50 basis point hike in May. Are, are you still there? And do you think that we're going to require more than one 50 basis point hike? Well, I think the data has come in exactly to support that type of policy action if the committee chooses to do so. Uh, it gives us the basis for doing it. Uh, I have said before I prefer a front-loading approach, so a 50 basis point hike in May would be consistent with that uh, and possibly more in June and July. How many is it going to take to get inflation down? Well, I think we want to get to above neutral, uh, certainly by the later half of this year, and we need to get closer to neutral as soon as possible. Now, we have talked up rates. Uh, the market rates have gone up quite a bit since December, even though we haven't actually moved the policy rate. That's all because of our forward guidance to drive up rates. And it's worked. I mean, look at mortgage rates. They're up almost 200 basis points since December, and I think it's starting to show in the housing market. Uh, so anyway, the rates are already up but we probably still need to do some more. You think housing is slowing? Because I don't know, we keep hearing, first of all, prices are through the roof and there are concerns that they're not going to come down as a result of lower demand because there's just not enough supply. And so you're going to get into this sort of stagflationary environment in, in sectors of the economy like housing. Well, unless people are buying only in cash, at some point those higher mortgage rates are going to have a bite on people's uh, ability to finance a house and how much they can pay. Um, so the, um, you know, I think we'll start seeing that in the next coming months. I think you'll see some downward pressure on housing prices or moderation in housing price increases. The quantities, the houses will still sell, but the mm -hmm. prices may not be going up anywhere near what they were the last two years. What about other parts of the economy where we are experiencing severe inflation and price hikes. What, what can the Fed do about the fact that, you know, Ukraine isn't going to plant as much this season and, and Russia is basically shut out of the global economy on its important grain and fertilizer and oil exports, at least to the U.S.? How, how do you cope with those pressures? Yeah, so that's the thing. We can't really fix these supply chain problems that are out there. All we can do is kind of try to push down demand for these products and take some pressure off the prices that people have to pay for these products. But we can't produce more wheat, we can't produce more semiconductors, but we can affect the demand for those products in a way that puts downward pressure and takes the, some pressure off of inflation. And can you do it without getting us into recession, pressuring demand like that with such tighter policy? Yeah, I think that's, it's completely feasible that we can do that because of the situation that we're in. I mean, in the past when the Fed had to pull back and tighten, we didn't have situations where there were almost two jobs for every worker that was out there. We weren't staring at shortages where you couldn't get a new car for 12 months. So we're in a situation where we can pull back demand, put downward pressure on prices, and not really have a big impact on the quantity. Uh, so it's a little special this time compared to what has happened in the past. But it's also happening at a time where global growth is slowing and, and Europe is feeling it a little worse than, than we are. I mean, yes, on the plus side, job markets are in a great spot, as you say, and consumer balance sheets have been a good spot. But we're also dealing with a food shock and an energy shock and a global growth slowdown. It seems like a lot to, to put on the U.S. consumer and the U.S. economy right now as rates are rising rapidly. 
Right. So again, we're trying to do what we can to keep those prices down and from rising as fast as they are. Uh, over time, some of the supply shortages will work themselves out. Markets work. They'll produce stuff and get it to us at some point. And right now, our main concern is getting these prices down, and we can do that without causing a recession. Some people think you have to shock the market, that you have to go big and that, that you have to, you know, inflation is becoming really worrisome and entrenched is the sort of scary word there. And that you have to go big to, to surprise the market, you know, put pressure on financial conditions and really get inflation under control. Is that something you're considering? Uh, not me, <laughs> not this central banker. No, I don't see any value what? in trying to shock the markets. You know, we're not in a Volcker kind of moment, really. I mean, Volcker in the 70s, they were dealing with really high inflation for six, seven years. Okay, we're staring at this really being a one-year phenomenon. We're on it right now. So uh, we don't need to be shocking anything just to cause a shock. Uh, we're raising rates. The markets understand it. They've come up quite a bit. Uh, if this inflation doesn't cool off, we'll keep going. We'll do what it takes to get inflation back down. But we can do that in an orderly way without causing a lot of financial market stress. So it sounds like you're, you're not worried about more permanently higher rates, that, that whole notion that this could become entrenched and we could see a wage price spiral, which would only worsen. Yeah, I mean, the whole point is to head that off now, right? That's what happened in the 70s. They let it go for six years and then it did become entrenched. We're trying to kill it now so that we don't have that problem. So one of the things I'm carefully watching is, you know, kind of what's happening with the firms and their pricing and wages going forward and how much of that is just getting into this kind of wage price spiral. So far, thankfully, from what I've heard from business mm -hmm. contacts, that does not seem to be taking hold. Are you surprised to see how well the consumer is holding up, how resilient it has been to some of these crazy inflation spikes? Yeah, I mean, the thing is that, uh, you know, just when I hear news from uh, the banking industry, consumers have a lot of money in their bank accounts. You know, we had a period where there was fiscal stimulus. People had a lot of forced savings that they really haven't had a chance to spend yet. So there's still a, a fair bit of uh, money available in people's accounts to maintain the spending that they want and kind of absorb the higher prices. So finally, just to round it off, I just want to make sure I understand fully your position. Are you more worried about the Fed being too aggressive when it comes to tightening policy and hurting the economy or not aggressive enough in fighting inflation? Which is the bigger risk in your mind? Well, I think we're going to deal with inflation. We've laid out our plans. I think we have sufficient rate hikes to get above neutral, get inflation back down. I think we're in a position where the economy is strong. So this is a good time to do uh, a you know, kind of aggressive actions because the economy can take it. Uh, it would be harder to wait another eight or nine months and then say, wow, now we really have to get aggressive if we start seeing growth slow down and employment slow down. So it's better to do it now while the economy can take it. A lot of people it. think that's it's kind already of kind of late. Well, Governor Waller. Well, I, like I said, we started talking about it in December. So rates have jumped mm -hmm. since December. So just because we haven't moved off the policy rate, market rates have gone up quite a bit. Look at where the 10 year is. It was at 140, now it's at 270. 270. Mm -hmm. So the markets have Go. pushed up the rates without us actually mm -hmm. moving the policy. As they tend to do. Governor Waller, thank you for joining me. Thanks for the time right. and the candid Thank answers. you, Sarah, for having me on.
Fed Governor Christopher Waller. Up next, Jeffrey's aerospace and defense analyst Sheila Kayalu gives us her top airline picks as those stocks soar following Delta's earnings today. That story and a closer look at the action in other travel names and PayPal, which is getting hit today when we take you inside the market zone. rising into the close of 350 on the Dow. We are now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here as always to break down these crucial moments of the trading day. Plus Leslie Picker on JP Morgan's earnings and what is ahead for the banks. Jeffries, Sheila Kayalu on the big rally in airline stocks. But let's hit the broader market because we are near session highs heading into the close. S&P and Nasdaq on track to snap a three-day losing streak. And Mike, we've sort of been building throughout this, this final hour the comments just now from Governor Waller of the Federal Reserve really struck me. First of all, I thought he was very candid and, and very just plain spoken about the idea that he's not he doesn't not worry that this is a Volcker type moment and that inflation is out of control like the 70s. Thinks they can execute on a, a soft landing and gave some pretty convincing arguments that I wonder if that's what the market on these up days focuses on. And that is the fact that there's a big cushion in the economy in what's happening with jobs and the consumer. We just heard it from Michelle Meyer at MasterCard, no slowdown, to take the higher interest rates and to absorb some of these inflationary shocks where when the Fed can move now aggressively, it has the space to do it and it won't necessarily sink us in a recession. Is that something the market can hang on to? I do think the market is in tune with that idea in general. And in fact, I think the other piece of it, which is that whatever the Fed is likely to do, uh, has been priced in to a large degree over the last few months. Um, So if you look at the things like the two-year note yield backing off pretty hard in the last week or so, uh, we've got past the CPI and PPI numbers, which really would qualify as the two known potentially scary events as it relates to what policy is going to mean and whether inflation is really becoming unanchored. Uh, and so we're past that. The, S, the, the, the equity market did not fall back into that kind of breakdown zone around the lows. And so you have a little bit of an upward grind because people got pretty defensive. I think all that makes a lot of sense. And the other piece of it, Sarah, besides the fact that, yeah, the consumer has momentum and some savings built up, is that we are in such a high nominal growth economy right now, obviously mostly because of inflation, that it creates even a cushion in terms of overall activity. Uh, And so that's why the Fed feels as if on a nominal basis, a soft landing is actually relatively likely, even if on a real basis you do have a retrenchment. He says that inflation, he believes, has pretty much peaked and should come down in the next few months and is advocating for aggressive action now and not later. Let's hit the banks because J.P. Morgan is the worst performer right now in the Dow. It's hitting a one-year low despite beating Wall Street earnings and revenue expectations. Net income fell sharply from a year ago because the company set aside nearly $1.5 billion in anticipated loan losses. In the earnings release, CEO Jamie Dimon warning of higher probabilities of downside risk to the economy because of inflation, also supply chain issues, and the war in Ukraine. The deluge of big bank earnings continues tomorrow when Citigroup, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley all report results. Leslie Picker joins us. Leslie, what clues could J.P. Morgan's results give us about what we're about to learn tomorrow? Yeah, I think the market's digesting the results from J.P. Morgan and extrapolating it to the big banks. On the positive side, what you saw with trading, analysts and investors were really expecting that to be kind of a wild card for the quarter, but it was really only down about 3% 
thick held up relatively nicely. That's fixed income currencies and commodities. So that fares well, especially for Goldman. And you can see Goldman shares are up uh, about half a percentage point right now. It also fares pretty well for Morgan Stanley, although they're more skewed toward equities trading rather than FIC. Uh, however, those provisions that you mentioned, the setting aside the $1.5 billion for potential loan losses, I think investors are reading that as a potential, potentially that JP Morgan is being you know, conservative here, but it could also indicate that they're concerned about you know, something bigger and more systemic happening with the economy that they just want to be prepared for. So you can see a little bit lower um, in Citi and Bank of America today, just kind of based on that dynamic, uh, because that's important for them. Obviously, they have a large amount of loan exposure. Mike, what do, what do, these, what do these stocks need to work? And, and, what, and what did we learn about the credit cycle? There is a lot of talk about that and what the buildup in reserves. Doug Cass, who's been betting against the bank, says it shows that there is a, a turn here in the credit cycle for the worse. Market needs uh, any sense that we've basically been panicking prematurely about re recession and about, you know, consumer activity eroding uh, th because they're, they're priced for something like that. One of the things that's a big overhang on the banks is we did rush into late cycle conditions. And that is when they start building credit reserves and they kind of didn't really have a lot of time in what you might consider mid-cycle to just nurse the, the better net interest margins and return capital to shareholders and have a very clean investment banking story. So I think it's a, it's a little bit muddled. Now, things like J.P. Morgan, they're starting to look cheap on a five, eight-year basis based on earnings. Uh, so if there's no financial accidents and we start to feel as if, you know, the, the recession scare uh, is unwarranted, they'll probably do better, but the, the, they're not acting particularly well. The final point I'd make is over the course of earnings season, you often have the pendulum swing two different directions on bank earnings. Everyone gets geared up for weakness after J.P. Morgan reports, and therefore the bar psychologically is lowered for the other ones. Financials are the worst performing sector right now, down two tenths, even as we continue to see an improvement here in the broader market. Don't miss a CNBC interview with Wells Fargo CFO Mike Santamassino, Santamassimo tomorrow, 3 p.m., right here on this show, closing bell after that company reports. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. PayPal is one of the bigger decliners right now in the S&P after a C-suite shakeup. The CFO, John Rainey, will be departing the company next month to become Walmart's new CFO. The world's largest retailer has been making inroads, we know, into fintech as part of its strategy to generate new revenue streams. Kate Rooney joins us. Kate, questions about what this means for PayPal's future? There have been a series of disappointments on the earnings front and whether this means there are more resets to come. Yeah, a lot of questions there. And in the near term, Sarah, so PayPal has earnings coming up in two weeks. So usually when there's a big management change like this, companies want to give the markets something really good to chew on. So Mizuho and Dan Dola, an analyst there, came out with a columnist this morning. I talked to him about the move and the shakeup, and he says if PayPal had some good earnings coming out, they would have given some sort of pre-release. And we saw that with Marketa, another big fintech uh, that lost its CFO a couple months ago. They announced that, but at the same time, they pre-released some of the numbers. PayPal notably didn't do that, so that appears to be one of the reasons uh, the stock is getting hit today. The other thing here on John Rainey's departure, so the interim CFO is actually PayPal's head of IR. So that could be another sign that the move mm. was pretty abrupt since there isn't a successor yet. And then when it comes to Dan Schulman, it just adds more pressure to what really was and is a high-pressure situation. Growth at PayPal is slowing. They changed their user guidance uh, last quarter, they had a 700 million user target that they scrapped completely. So Shulman and the executive team are under a lot of pressure and really need to earn the trust of the analyst and investor community at this point. 
Now it's up to Shulman. He's really the sole person responsible for turning PayPal around at this point. He was sharing the limelight with Rainey. And so it's a tough yeah. situation for him. And he's really earnings will be big in two weeks here. PayPal stock up off 66 percent from from the highs. Kate, what about the flip side? So Rainey's going to Walmart. How do the companies that you cover in fintech and payments like a PayPal view Walmart? Are they a real threat at this point? It's interesting. It's actually been less about the Walmarts of the world and more about big tech. So Walmart was the example, I guess more than a decade ago, of a big company that was looking to become a bank. They weren't actually able to get a bank charter. And so they sort of scrapped that and they've been doing more of a partnership model. So it seems like fintechs really see the Walmarts of the world as potential partners, although someone hmm. like John Rainey moving over there could be a sign that they're going to take payments more seriously and start building things in-house. Big tech actually seems to be the real threat uh, when it comes to a lot of the fintech companies. Bill Reddy, who was the head of Venmo, left to go to Google. So there was a similar conversation around his departure. What does that mean for Google and Alphabet when it comes to payments? But some of these big companies are now just building things internally. It'll be interesting to see if there's less of a partnership model going forward. Absolutely. PayPal, one of the few losers right now in the in the triple Qs. Uh, the, all those tech names are rallying today. Kate Rooney, Kate, thank you. Zscaler, Zoom Video, Splunk, CrowdStrike, everything that's been beaten up hard, getting a big pop today, up 9 to 8%. Take a look at shares of Delta, also rallying a lot, 6% after reporting a smaller-than-expected loss. The company forecasting a profit for the current quarter. Delta CEO Ed Bastian was on Squawk Box earlier today saying the company has been seeing an absolute surge in travel demand. Listen. The demand is phenomenal. We've never seen in our company's history demand for our product and services at the level we are. In the month of March, we had the highest sales in terms of bookings of any month in our history. Let's bring in Sheila Kayalu from Jefferies. She's got a buy rating, $45 price target on Delta. Sheila, and I believe this was your top pick. Why, why did this come as such a surprise? We knew how the, the airline executives have been telling us how strong demand is for a while. I think really, um, Sarah, people miss the fact that everybody was so focused on costs in Q1. And that's really why we downgraded Southwest a few months ago. But the you know, discussion shifted from cost to pricing power and how strong demand was, as you said, especially what Delta talked about in their March trends with corporate coming back 70 percent up to 2019 levels, domestic premium only 10 percent below 2019 levels. So um, now the question is becoming how long could this strength exists for the consumer. And you've been talking to a lot of your folks about that on, on, on your segment today. Right. So, so far, it's pretty good when it comes to consumer spending and airlines are a place that they want to spend. But, but if inflation does start to come down and demand comes down, then Sheila, what, what do the economics look like? Because you still have higher jet fuel costs versus where we were, you know, in years prior and, and some headwinds on international travel demand like China, which is still seeing lockdowns. So I think you're starting to see that shift in Q2, where capacity is actually 15 percent below 2019 levels, but your revenues are only 5 percent below 2019 levels. So that pricing power is really strong in Q2. And, at, you know, as your economist said earlier on the segment, as Ed Bastian pointed out, the consumer is strong and they're not seeing a slowdown. However, we published a, a travel survey this morning, our leisure team did, and is inflation going to start hitting that consumer at the lower end? So mm -hmm. what happens if your airfare is going up by $100? That might not stop that travel. But if your Miami hotel room becomes $2,000 a night, then does that pull back uh, that consumer spending? And we're seeing that in our travel survey published today, where 
40% of economies slash mid-size uh, hotels said they're going to see shorter stays if prices go up by only a 20% increase. So right so, now, investors are questioning the elasticity of this curve and how strong the consumer could continue throughout the summer into the fall. Well, not today. Today is a good day for, for everything that touches airlines, hotels. Boeing is leading the Dow. American Airlines is leading the S&P up 11%. So what, what do you do with these stocks now? Which do you like and which not so much? We, we really favored airlines into the quarter out of all the stocks we cover, whether it was aerospace or defense or airlines. And it was on this pricing pitch because we saw strength across the board. So we continue to like airlines on pricing, and that's what we're monitoring. How long can the consumers, consumers stay strong? On defense, uh, we don't expect a robust Q1 for the defense primes, but we see defense budgets are going up no matter what, whether it's in the U.S. or NATO. So those are the two groups we're preferring right now, and we're putting a hold on the uh, commercial aerospace manu uh suppliers. Got it. Sheila Kayalu, thank you for your take. And as I mentioned, the ripple effect, hotel stocks getting a big boost by Delta's outlook for business travel in particular. Seema Modi joins us. Seema, which companies here stand to be the benefit, the, the winners and really benefit the most if business travel does roar back, if it does? Well, yeah, well, Delta CEO, Sarah, uh, laying out clearly a very optimistic picture on the return of business travel as Corporate travelers return and get back on the road. They're overwhelmingly staying at hotels over the short-term rentals that really benefited during the height of the pandemic. Stocks like Airbnb, Expedia. The big winners if business travel continues to outperform, it's the hotel names like Marriott, Hilton, and Hyatt. I spoke to Marriott last week. They were telling me that demand for corporate retreats uh, is trending higher week over week. So that means corporations are now starting to deploy more of that travel money that we really didn't see last year and, of course, not in, in 2020. Uh, one thing to, to keep in mind, though, on the topic of interest rates. Just in the past month, we have seen the U.S. hotel pipeline raise some concerns as construction has slowed by as much as 16 percent compared to the same time a year ago. So the fact that developers are slowing down their pace of construction, that tells you that over the long term, they're still concerned about the full recovery in travel. But right now, Marriott on pace for mm -hmm. its best performance in nearly two years. And you'll see Airbnb also on track to break its three-day losing streak. Seema Modi, Seema, thank you. Mike, just want to hit, hit the broader market right now in this recovery we're having. We're still down for the week, but it's shaping up to be a pretty strong rally and a broad rally. And what, what's notable today is that Treasury yields are lower. Yeah. And you might expect after two very strong inflation reports that, you, you know, you'd keep seeing selling of bonds, but it's actually going the other way. And I wonder if that's giving the market some support today and whether anything's really changing underneath. Yeah, because it does build the sense that the markets have already gotten to this place of anticipating these hot inflation numbers. Obviously, bonds were already very oversold, too. So, the, you know, Treasury yields were stretched to the upside. They probably needed a breather no matter what. But it definitely does show you that equity investors were not going to be blindsided by these numbers, if nothing else. Uh, again, put it in context. Uh, the S&P 500 did kind of firm up about in the lower end of this several-week range. Uh, it did not break down further. I think it's really the absence of a negative, absence of follow-on selling pressure. You have some decent seasonal effects coming up, the lifting of some tax loss selling. So I think all that stuff is probably in the mix right here. And probably also relatively impressive that it's happening when the banks continue to be uh, on the weak side. So everything else but the banks is more or less a contributor here. Well, it also shows that the earnings commentary is going to matter a lot. And we 
might not get the same thing out of various sectors. The bank, you know, the line out of the banks were bumpy times ahead yeah. and caution and potential recession and changes in the cycle. And then the word from Delta was spending, pricing power. It's going to be key. And I yeah. guess it could be, Mike, a tale of, of different sectors and, and different stocks, depending on brand strength and where the consumer wants to be right now. Yeah, it always is a, a push-pull during earnings season, probably more so this time. Uh, what's interesting, too, the, the investors seem to want to embrace this huge transition into services from consumer goods. The issue with the index is consumer services just isn't that big. I mean, discretionary consumer services. That's why the travel stocks go. Restaurants, very small market cap relative to overall national restaurant spending. So it's interesting. There's not that many places for it to go because media is more non-discretionary. Well, we've got just about two minutes to go here in the trading day. And as I mentioned, the gains have continued pretty much for the final hour, especially hard hit parts of the NASDAQ are doing well today. NASDAQ 100 up 2%. Mike, what are you seeing in the internals right now? It's been quite strong. You know, even the last two days, the indexes were lower and breadth was a little bit better than you might expect here. Uh, you got like 80% uh, upside volume. So that's a relatively strong showing. We were talking about the travel and leisure related stocks. Look at them compared to uh, home building related. Uh, and that shows you the story of the last month. Basically, people feeling like durable goods, not the place to be. Services uh, have the advantage. And I would say the volatility index now down below 22. Again, it shows you we were braced for something potentially scary with the inflation numbers. Now that's draining away. It still looks like, you know, it's a short-term uptrend. You'd want it to relax more, but so far not getting in the way of the market uh, mean reverting higher here. As we go into the close, take a look at the Dow. It's up 331, almost a full percent. Most Dow stocks are higher, especially strength in places like Boeing. Actually, only two Dow stocks in the red, J.P. Morgan and Travelers. Boeing, Microsoft, Home Depot, American Express adding the most to the Dow right now. S&P 500 up a full percent. You've got real strength in consumer discretionary. We mentioned the travel names. The retailers are having a good day as well. Two and a half percent gain for that sector. Financials and utilities are lower. Technology is doing well. Microsoft, Tesla, NVIDIA, Google, all lifting the NASDAQ right now. PayPal is a drag there. There goes the bell. NASDAQ up 2%. Russell 2000 also up 2% on the small caps. That does it for me on Closing Bell. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.